best part of doing a podcast is the regular work hours. I mean, I could become a quote-unquote professional and release content every week, but I like bucking social norms, baby. Welcome to Red Leg Revolution, a show about community. I'm Senior Carlos Dubs, and today we're going to talk about grief. Why? Because it's a subject we don't talk enough about. We're going to briefly touch on what grief is, how it affects our cognitive functions, how we cope with it, and how we can help those we love who suffer from grief. Our feelings of grief are based in the power and love of community. I feel like this quote from Jamie Anderson tells us a lot. Quote, Grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all the love you want to give but cannot. All the unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, and in the hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. End quote. Grief is just unspent love. Let's start from that precept. I like to start there because when we realize that fact, we realize that it's our capacity to love that makes the necessity of grieving. Grief can come from many sources. Yeah, it's not just reserved for death, although given the inherent nature of the human experience, lost my place, (laughs) death is statistically the cause. Grief comes from loss. Loss could be death, or it could be the end of a relationship, the end of a job, or the end of your usual faculties. We can grieve about a lot of things. We can grieve about ourselves, parts of ourselves that we've lost through circumstance or growth. We can grieve relationships, friendships. We can even grieve possessions. We can grieve all sorts of things because it's a sense of loss. Personally, I was recently dealing with a lot of grief from the ending of my last relationship. More than a few of my friends are also dealing with the same thing right now. If you're one of those friends, remember I'm here for you. You know how to get a hold of me. Anyway, I also have more than a few friends who are dealing with grief from death. So let's get an official definition, partially so we're all on the same page, and partially so I can meet my word count before the commercial break. Google defines it as, quote, deep sorrow, especially that caused by someone's death, end quote. Emotional health experts will readily explain that this definition is not a full definition. We all have grief. This is a certainty. Even the Dalai Lama, a master thinker on concepts like impermanence, compassion, and esoteric concepts, suffers from grieving. Quote, For example, in my own case, I have lost my most respected tutor, my mother, and also one of my brothers. When they passed away, of course, I felt very, very sad. Then I constantly kept thinking that it was no use to worry too much, and if I really loved these people, then I must try to fulfill their wishes with a calm mind. So I try my best to do that. So I think if you've lost someone who is very dear to you, that's the proper way to approach it. You see, the best way to keep a memory of that person, the best remembrance, is to see you can carry on the wishes of that person. End quote. Grief is an unavoidable part of the human experience because, as we established earlier, grief is unspent love. Grief is one of the things that makes us human. It is one of our great common denominators, as no culture of humans on Earth avoids grieving. Some species of animal have also been documented to mourn their dead, so feelings of grief unite us also with the greater animal kingdom. Not that that's a consolation for those stuck in it. The Mayo Clinic offers a great overview. Quote, 
Grief is a strong, sometimes overwhelming emotion for people, regardless of whether their sadness stems from the loss of a loved one or from a terminal diagnosis they or someone they love have received. They might find themselves feeling numb and removed from daily life, unable to carry on with regular duties while saddled with their sense of loss. Grief is the natural reaction to loss. Grief is both a universal and a personal experience. Individuals' experiences of grief vary and are influenced by the nature of the loss. Some examples of loss include the death of a loved one, the ending of an important relationship, job loss, loss through theft, or the loss of independence through disability." End quote. So let's recap. Grief is universal, personal, and natural. Grief is a universal feeling that binds us to others and our own suffering. Grief stems from loss and it's all the love we wish to give, but can't. My grandmother died over a decade ago, but to this day, when I hear certain phrases or see certain things, it breaks me to pieces. I can go from feeling fine to a quivering mess just by thinking about her giving me a cookie and a hug. My grandma was probably the most grandma-grandma that ever existed, and to this day, I still grieve her loss. I can think about her most of the time and not feel the pit of emptiness, but the feeling hits me at the oddest of times. It's diminished in frequency and intensity over the years, but it's still very real and very there. Grief, like love, never goes away. I also lost a close friend to suicide years ago. To this day, I cannot listen to carry on my wayward son without tears. I cry for all the fun times we had together, as well as all the experiences we should have had together but never came to fruition. I weep when I think how he'll never meet my kids or work on my car with me. That is the power of grief. That is the power of love. So how does grieving affect our bodily response? From heart yeah, man, mess that one up. From heart.org. Say that three times fast. Quote, the stress from the death of a loved one jolts our personal identity, our view of how we fit in the world. Dr. Lisa Schulman, professor of neurology at the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore said, it sounds like a philosophical problem, but the brain is built to perceive an existential threat as a threat to our very existence. This triggers what most people know as the fight or flight response. Stress hormones course through your body. Quote, your heart starts racing, your blood pressure increases, your respiratory rate increases, you become sweaty, and the body marshals defenses for you to protect yourself, one way or another, end quote, Shulman said. <sighs> end quote, I guess. I, I, I don't know. It's hard reading quotes and quotes. But anyway, that, that whole section is, is end quoted. <laughs> These stress-based changes occur in the mind as well as the body. The heart org article goes on to discuss the psychological changes that occur as well. Quote, Despite her prior experience in dealing with grieving patients, she was unprepared for it herself. The first two years, she said, were particularly difficult. At times, she felt disoriented, confused, in a fog, responses that are the brain's attempt to disassociate itself from emotional pain. End quote. Grief leaves a gaping hole in our lives, a heightened physical state, and a mind completely clouded with loss. Grief sucks, and we all endure it. But you know what you won't have to endure are a few words from the awesome organizations and businesses that I support because they support the community. So maybe you should either hit skip like four or five times 
or just kick back and listen to these ads. Huh? Ads? Deep in the swamps of Florida. Honey, is that a new plant? He dwells, waiting. Where did those seeds come from, honey? Silently. Oh my god, what is that thing? Sending seeds and stickers across the country. Ah! And spreading solidarity. Have you lost your mind, honey? We can't move to a sustainable commune in upstate New York. What's wrong with you lately? There's no stopping him. The mighty skunk ape is on Facebook, and he's on a mission. Anarchy! No! Coming to a post office box near you, the Skunk Ape Liberation Union. Who's got two thumbs, a deep abiding love for his community, and a brand spanking new Patreon page? This guy and this show, Red Leg Revolution, now has a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com backslash redlegpod. Become a monthly supporter and help us support the community. Monthly supporters get benefits like early access to episodes, bonus episodes specifically for patrons, and maybe even some video of me doing this thing right now that I'm doing with my hands that you're not seeing because it's an audio podcast. So if you want to help support me so I can help support the community, check out patreon.com backslash redlegpod. After all, our only hope is each other. I just got my hours cut again? How can I pay my bills? Yeah, it sucks, especially since they only pay us minimum wage. But what can we do? Solidarity Man. That's right, fellow workers. It is I, Solidarity Man, champion of the working class. And it sounds like you need a union. A union? That's right. What power on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? So a union makes us strong? That's right. Alone, you can do little to change your situation, but together you can move mountains. And the industrial workers of the world are here to help. Huh? The IWW is a union for all workers, no matter the trade, job, or career. And we want to organize your workplace. Wow. Where can we find the IWW? In your hometown. The IWW has branches all over the world. Check out IWW.org to find your local membership board or join as an at-large member and start your own chapter. After all, our greatest superpower is working together. I must go. I hear another exploited worker calling for help. But remember, the working class and the employing class have nothing in common. Away! And we're back. Grief changes us. Grief turns us inward to protect from the pain, and that's okay. Since we know grief is a real thing that has been thoroughly documented throughout history and science, we know that by turning inward in our grief, we are still connected to those we love and those we lost. We share ourselves with the world when we grieve by the virtue of it being a universal experience. But how can we help our friends and comrades through their grief? This is important stuff now because the same applies to when our friends are in extreme emotional pain. Doesn't matter the cause. We discuss how cognitive function is greatly reduced as the brain attempts to protect us from emotional pain. So I can honestly say we don't think clearly while grieving. 
which is why it's so important to help out our friends in pain with basic life stuff. We all have this tendency to, you know, reach out to our friends when they're hurting, but it's usually along the lines of, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. The intention of this thought is pure and good, but the execution often often isn't as helpful as the intention because of the aforementioned cognitive challenges. When we are grieving, we don't know what kind of help we need, let alone have the spoons to communicate that. So the grieving person is often flooded with well-intentioned messages from people who want to help and has no way to utilize the offered assistance. I was talking about grief with a few friends the other night, and one pointed out how we get overwhelmed with well-meaning messages, and we decide the first thing that you could offer to do is field all the rest of the messages. If you can sit and help communicate what the grieving person needs to your friends, you're already doing them a great service. So delegate it. Delegate that task and help them in the way that you can. Don't ask, do. Instead of asking how you can help, show up for the stuff you know needs doing, the stuff that we all have to deal with on a day-by-day basis. Come over and bring some prepared meals or snacks. Clean their house for them, do laundry, run to the store, pick up the kids. Do whatever you can to give the grieving person time to properly grieve. Logistic, ah, logistical stuff seems so impersonal versus emotional assistance, but we can't heal without our basic needs met. And when we can't meet those needs on our own, we need to be able to rely on each other. We can end grief for our hurting homies, but we, can't make the, but we can make the task of processing their emotions that much easier by alleviating what potential stressors you can. The bonus fact is the more time we dedicate to grieving, often the duration of the grief is less. That's where the idea of a funeral wake comes from. Part of it is a ritualistic goodbye to the dearly departed, but there was a practical element to it as well. Mourners would bring easy-to-prepare food and supplies so that the remaining family could properly mourn and eat. Oftentimes, the close family would stick around and make sure the cow was milked, the laundry done, and the extra meals prepped. Even in death, we bind into our communities and and solidify relationships between those we leave behind. How can we help our friends in a less physical capacity and be there to properly support them? In short, the best we can do is to be present for our grieving friends. How can we do that? To best get into this discussion, I'm going to plug a book, The Art of Communication by Teach Not Han. I recently read this book as part of my own grieving process over the end of my last relationship, and it opened up my eyes to why that relationship failed. Listening is an art form, and too few of us really know how to properly do it. This can cause all sorts of issues in everyday life, but can be especially damaging to those in mourning. Being present is a key concept in Buddhist thought, and thus features prominently in the art of communication. Another key component of good listening is compassion, genuine and real, deep from the heart. When we apply these concepts to holding space for our grieving friends, we become a source of refuge and connection. We become a safe and welcoming spot for people to process their loss in real time. How do we hold space? Well, first off, we have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Extreme emotions in others can often bring up unpleasant feelings as our own brain tries to shy away from the obvious pain. It's an evolutionary instinct, but it's one we've evolved beyond the need for. We have to learn to sit with our own emotions, and helping others by sitting with their grief is a great way to practice that. Resist the urge to try and divert attention from their grieving. It has its place, but as a general rule, 
if someone's actively in grief and you're holding space for them, they don't need to be diverted. The idea that we can snap out of our emotions doesn't pay proper respect to the fact that our emotions need to be felt to be processed and let go. Sympathetic thoughts and assurances are great, but generally try and keep quiet. This is their time, not ours, and if we do this right, we'll get our own unfortunate turn to take a look to keep a loved one's memory alive. So right now, just listen and listen actively and compassionately. We keep our loved ones alive in our hearts, and that's not just a trope. When we tell stories about those we have lost, we bring them back to life. We remember their character, their personality, their quirks, and their flaws. We remember what made them a part of us. So by simply offering to listen to these stories, you are helping them remember that their loved one is not on the physical plane, but will still be around as long as we hold their memory dear. In a way, by assisting others' grief, we make their departed immortal. I also recommend refraining from phrases like, they're in a better place, or God has them now, unless you know the religious belief of the departed as well as those of the bereaved. Now is not the time for proselytizing. Again, if you share a belief structure, then by all means, utilize your dogma, but only if you share a belief structure and you have the intimacy that doing so won't feel like a breach. It's insulting to say he's in heaven now to a family member who knew he didn't even practice a religion where heaven exists. For example, I am a Buddhist, so I believe in reincarnation. If I were to die, it would be acceptable for my Buddhist friends to say, he's taken another form and may he be free from suffering, but not, at least he's in heaven. No, Karen, I'm not in heaven. I'm being reborn in this world to help end suffering, not lounging about on a cloud playing D&D with Jesus. Although, that does sound pretty fun. We all have a natural urge to comfort the afflicted. Except Tim. Seriously, fuck that guy. But we have to resist the urge to actively offer comfort through our usual means of distraction and misdirection. Again, these tactics are well-meaning and have a proper place, but generally, diverting attention increases the pain. I once saw an equation in a book called Emotional Healing that stated, pain times resistance equals suffering. When you think about it, that equation is totally correct. We know we're going to have pain when we grieve, and by resisting it, we only multiply it exponentially. So it's better to just feel the pain without the multiplier of trying to resist it. We have to sit with our own feelings to sit well with the feelings of others. Grief, in particular, is difficult to do that with because it reminds us we are all going to die. In the end, we go out alone as we came in alone, and that's a really fucking bitter pill to swallow. We also think of the mortality of those we love and wish they would never die. But we know this isn't realistic or possible, so we have to come to terms with the loss. To do so, we have to let the grief run its course naturally. When my last partner and I broke up, I was fortunate in my grieving process. I hadn't had that close of a relationship before, and I was with her for a year and a half. When she left, it broke me. I spent a month straight dedicating my days to my feelings. I was privileged that I had money saved up and could take a few weeks off work. I did work a few days for a few hours, and that was part of my healing process. It was one of those healthy distractions. I was doing more manual stuff, and my mind was free to process, though. I cried more than once while swinging a hammer. The rest of my time was spent reading books about emotion, psychology, and Buddhism, writing poetry, meditating, but most of my time was spent grieving. 
I spent a lot of my days staring off into space or curled up in a ball or pacing back and forth. I slept a lot. I barely ate. I probably drank too much, but there was only a few times I drank myself to sleep. I took a lot of baths. I talked to myself. I cried a lot. I couldn't stop thinking about her, about the life we were building, and about how alone I felt. After the first six weeks, it began to gradually decline. It declined enough that I was able to take a solo road trip to the Black Hills and to do some emotional work in the most holy place I've ever been so far. The whole drive out there, some 800 miles, I couldn't stop grieving. I got to the Black Hills, made a nice camp by Frenchman's Creek about five miles from the Crazy Horse Monument. Quick side note, I'm going to link the monument donation page in the comments. I highly recommend you kick them a few bucks and stop by if you're in western South Dakota. Rushmore is a pathetic, defacing, picturing four bastards, but Crazy Horse is awe-inspiring and deserves to be finished. That's where your donations come in. So yeah, it's done with the plug for Crazy Horse. Anyway, I made my camp, I posted up with a stack of books about recovering from grief, a lot of coffee, and began my process. I spent two days in camp, progressing through the final stages of grief and into acceptance. When I came down from the mountain, I felt renewed, refreshed, ready to start life again. It wasn't like a switch that had flipped off, it was just that the simply the worst of the storm had passed. I was beginning to see myself again instead of the dense fog of sadness and loss surrounding me. I came back to the city and began to live my life again. I was fortunate and was able to ease back into a routine of work, sleep, life. I was slowly reinforcing the routines I had established in my grief though, things like pots of tea, long hot baths, meditation, and reading books instead of watching TV or playing video games. It still hurt and I still thought about it a lot, but even then I could feel the grip loosening. I began to feel whole again, bit by bit. My journey through my grief was supported by my awesome friends and comrades. I got a bed donated from one friend, and I, pr I processed with more than a few others. Even the homies at These Are Bad Movies helped me out. I did a guest spot on their show less than a week after my breakup discussing the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I tried to postpone it. Amy wouldn't let me. She knew that I needed some company and I needed validation. I needed to connect to the community. So I went to the city, spent a good hour talking about my shit and having a drink before we even sat down to watch the movie. Amy's a respectable bartender, for the record. Discussing one of my favorite movies and delving into the mythos of cowboy culture was the type of healthy distraction I needed. I'd been deep in my grief for almost a week straight and I needed a recharge. Amy and Amanda were gracious enough to provide an evening res respite to allow me to go back to my grief the next day. I also found poetry helped me not only work through my grief, but also through a lot of the issues I needed to work on in that particular relationship. I wrote over 100 pages of poetry in two months, and honestly, some of my best work ever that I've ever written I made in this period. In order to get the feelings out, I had to be completely in them. This not only worked as a pressure relief valve, but also one that produced some of my best stuff. And yeah, this is this is a lead-in. I'm going to subject y'all to one of my poems. Uh, it's not a habit I intend to get into, but I think this one in particular really fits to close out the show. This piece is called Tempest. I don't like the one minute I'm fine and the next I'm lost adrift, untethered. I can do this, grief, 
I am loved, grief. I am content, grief, grief, grief. I am capable, my heart hurts. I am appreciated, why does my heart still hurt? I am unbalanced. I know this is normal, to be expected, and it's not foreign territory to the guide of my soul, yet that knowledge is litter solace to the bitter pill I have swallowed. I wish many things I had done differently, acknowledged as they showed their face, demons long dormant breaking the surface, making a squall, a torrential downpour of her hurricane proportions, making my port no longer safe for her. I know it will fade. I know I will be like the phoenix rising, stronger from the ashes. I know I will survive. But God damn it, I wish my heart didn't hurt. And I think with that, we're going to call the episode. That kind of opened my heart up a little there, and uh, I might need to go have another good cry. It definitely hits me not only about my relationship, but also pretty applicable to a lot of the grief I've been feeling lately about my own loss and many aspects of my life. Uh, I will add, though, that I think grieving some parts of our lives particularly within our own persona and our own identities and our own emotions is an important thing because there are parts of us that we all hold on to that may or may not be healthy for us and sometimes we need to let those parts go and we can feel grief when we lose those aspects or those comforting um, personas that we have. So yeah, like us, share us, subscribe to us, tell people about us, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me at Twitter and on Patreon at RedLegPod, at RedLegRevolution for all the other social media. I'd love for y'all to come engage with me, tell me what's up, tell me I'm pronouncing words wrong, talk shit, say hi, I'm, I'm not picky. But yeah, come find me on the social media. If you want to support the show financially, you can check us out at the link in the description or at our new Patreon. I'm hoping to have some content going there. Mainly it's going to be early content to episodes, but eventually there will be Patreon-exclusive content. So help me out to help the community. On top of that, help each other grieve, because our only hope is each other. Peace, y'all. This has been a production of 419 Media.